Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Everywhere you looked this week, there was something for everybody. You're a hockey fan, there was the Kraken expansion draft. You're the Mariner fan, we're just a week away from the trade deadline, and the Mariners find themselves still in a position to be either buyers or sellers, which will make the next week very interesting. And just as you heard before the show opening, we're just four days away from Seahawks training camp. There's still plenty of news on that front. The Jamal Adams negotiations, will he or won't he report to camp? And then there's also the topic of college realignment uh, in conference play there with Texas and Oklahoma flirting with the SEC. We're going to do our best to touch on every little bit of it here over the next couple of hours. This is Seattle Sports Saturday. I'm Curtis Rogers, and I am joined, as I'm always joined, by my guy Taylor Jacobs. Taylor, good morning to you. And boy, where do we begin in this just crazy week, this breakneck pace that it's been over the last week? We've also got the Olympics to get to, too, uh, in this show. There is just so much going on. Where should we where should we begin? I think you got to start at the beginning with the beginning of a new franchise, right? The Kraken. What a week for that franchise here in Seattle. The expansion draft. We have the amateur draft currently going on right now, so we'll keep you updated when some of those picks come in. They've already made two selections on the day, which we'll, again, get into a little bit later. But uh, And then the schedule release, right? You find out that the, the Kraken are going to open the new Climate Pledge Arena with their rivals to the north, the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, and, and just what a cool week it was to see ESPN out there at Gasworks, all the, the boats and the sailgating that we've known, uh, come to know here in Seattle with the dogs playing on, you know, on the other side of the, of the lake there. So uh, it just really cool t- week overall. And look, we didn't even talk about the Mariners who continue to win. We didn't talk about the Seahawks. Like I had to check my watch to make sure for sure that – that promo was right that training camp starts so soon but it does we're coming up on football season here in in no time and there's still a lot to happen in this in the sports world in the northwest uh that we still got to talk about so uh a lot to get into i'm excited yeah and also the mariners they have they're in the midst of a huge series against the oakland a's they win last night thanks to cal raleigh's massive 440 foot home run and then also getting some good work out of the bullpen, winning that one late over the A's. There's still two games left in that series. they got Logan Gilbert on the mound tonight. You can hear that right here on 710. Uh, I mean, there is just so much going on. And it reminds me of where we were a year ago, Taylor, because I have had this pop up on my phone this morning. We're talking about everything going on right now. Last year, on this day was Major League Baseball opening day. Think of where we were then and where we are now. I am so thankful for all that is trans or all that has transpired uh you know in the world of sports and just in, in the world in general that we are able to have this much to talk about because when you had a year like we did in 2020, it makes weeks like this all the more, you know, special. Yeah, I mean, we had bubbles, we had wubbles, we had contact tracing, we had Q-tips up our noses. There was so much going on there, uh, and just one year later to be talking about this full week of sports, 
so much exciting things happening, not even just here in Seattle, but around the globe, right? With the Olympics starting as well, being delayed a year as well. So yeah, sometimes you got to take a little deep breath, take a look back, look at the perspective that you've, uh, where you've come from and uh, be excited about the future. Cause there's a lot to be excited about uh, with some of these big stories. Yeah, take a deep breath, catch your breath, because we've got two hours to go here on 710 ESPN Seattle. We're with you until 1 o'clock today, so let's get it underway with this hour's Big Three. Number one. Well, we mentioned it, the big news of the week, the Kraken, was finally released this week. We had many, many NHL stories. We got to see an expansion draft at Gasworks, like we mentioned. The schedule release on Wednesday, and a number two pick. In the amateur draft round one yesterday. Oh, yeah. And the rest of that draft currently happening as well today. The two selections they've made. Riker Evans, uh, defense from Calgary, Alberta. And uh, with their third round pick from the Hamilton Bulldogs forward, Ryan Winterton. So some easy names to say there. Not quite like Marshawn with his uh, Cali boy comment Cali in the boy uh, boy. expansion draft. Cali boy boy loved. They should just have Marshawn do all the draft picks. We'll get back into that a little bit later. But talking about the inaugural, inaugural season, the home opener will take place uh, six games into the season. So they're going to have five road games to start. But the home opener, the big one, Saturday, October 23rd. Mark your calendars. The Vancouver Canucks come to town. Oh, yeah, and that Monday night, Monday night football here as well. So big weekend for Seattle. But, again, Matty Ice, Matthew Beneers, the number two overall pick in the amateur draft yesterday. He'll be on his way to Seattle. So much news. We'll dive into everything coming up next at 11.15. Number two. The Mariners, they have had themselves an up-and-down week so far, starting it off by polishing off a series victory over the Angels thanks to another stellar performance from budding star and maybe budding ace of this staff, Logan Gilbert, striking out nine and five and two-thirds on Sunday. He takes the mound tonight against the A's in game three of this four-game set. Things weren't so hot, though, for the Mariners in their series finale against the Rockies as two words that baseball fans in this town dread more than just about anything, bullpen day. That came back to bite them with Keenan Middleton getting rocked in the first inning. Darren McCacken, though, in his Major League debut, looked very good. You kind of wonder, why wasn't he the starter? He goes five innings of no-hit ball following Keenan Middleton's outing. But the Mariners, they split that series with the Rockies. They dropped the opener to the A's, but last night, Yusei Kikuchi there to stop the bleeding. We mentioned Cal Raleigh's massive home run, his first of his career. Shout out Big Dumper, going 440 feet to right field. Yusei striking out a career-high 12 Oakland A's last night as the Mariners even this four-game series at a game apiece. You can listen to the series finale tonight. Pre-game show starts at 6, first pitch at 7.10 right here on 7.10. But also, some more news for the Mariners this week. Last or Yesterday afternoon, Rafael Montero saw his tenure in Seattle finally, mercifully, come to an end as he was designated for assignment as they made room for reliever Casey Sadler on the roster. I I don't miss him. I don't miss him at all. I wish him luck, but you know what? This Mariners team is in a much better spot without Rafael Montero on this roster. Number three. Well, we mentioned it again earlier, but the Seahawks are reportedly, quote-unquote, comfortable making Jamal Adams the highest-paid safety in the NFL. But 
don't want him surpassing Bobby Wagner as the highest paid player on their defense. Now, there is some wiggle room. There is some number that they can find a happy medium, I think, between the two sides. Uh, but they're negotiating it. It's good to hear that they are in the same realm of, uh, of negotiating. So let's not forget Adams did miss the team's mandatory minicamp with an excused absence for personal reasons. So they won't hold that against him. But according to Mike Garofalo, he said that they're, again, in the right realm already. So he believes at some point before the start of the season that the contract goes down, the Seahawks, Jamal Adams, um, will make him the highest paid safety in the NFL. Now, we're only four days away from training camp, like we mentioned before, July 28th. So on Wednesday, going to see the players and some fans back at the VMAC, which will be a good experience. But moving quickly here, the deadline to the start of the season, uh, the clock is ticking. So, yes, there is still time, but not a lot of time. So as far as Jamal Adams' deal, Dwayne Brown, I think, wants another deal as well. He's expressed that. So we'll see what the Seahawks can do in the next few weeks in regards to some of those contracts. That is this hour's big three. You mentioned Jamal Adams' contract status right there. And you. I think the one that we kind of overlooked, you brought it up right there as well, Taylor, is Dwayne Brown. I think one leads to the other. I think once Adams is done, then the Seahawks can focus on getting Dwayne Brown done. But where does K.J. Wright fit into all of that? Because K.J. Wright this week on SiriusXM had mentioned that the door's not closed on a return to Seattle, whatever that could possibly mean. I wonder where or how or what, just where does K.J. Wright fit into this defense? I I would love to have him back. I, I think you would love to have him back, too. I think pretty much every Seahawks fan would love to have him back. It's just got to make sense at the price point for the Seahawks. And also, K.J. Wright's got to be, I think, willing to accept maybe a, a contract that's of less value than maybe he had thought he was going to get coming off off a career season. Yeah, and I think that's the one thing why he hasn't signed a deal yet is he's you know hoping that I don't think he's hoping for an injury, but I think he's hoping for an opportunity to maybe go into a team and be that starter and not have to take that sort of step back financially in in a contract and maybe go in and get that starter type contract money somewhere on a one to two year deal, but would love to have him back. I think he, you know, it all, like you said, Jamal Adams is the first domino. He has to, he has to sign his deal that has to get done. I think before you think about a KJ, right before you think about extending a Dwayne Brown. And again, I think they will get there. These things are complicated, but, uh, and luckily KJ wouldn't need too much time to ramp up with this team. So um, hopefully they get the Jamal Adams deal done sooner than later so that they can work on KJ, work on Dwayne, and get some of those things done um, during the start of training camp. And then also uh, some honorable mentions this week. Pac-12 Media Days will take place in Los Angeles. That is this week. We'll hear from Pac-12 Commissioner George Klievkoff, but they will be going on most notably without Cougs head coach Nick Rolovich in attendance. Rolovich making a statement on Twitter this week saying that he has declined a COVID vaccination so far, which is uh, counter to what the Pac-12 requirements are for in-person attendance at Pac-12 Media Days. Uh, he's making his stance, the Pac-12 making theirs. Uh, there might be some more fallout to this over the coming days and weeks here as Washington State University President Kirk Schultz 
uh, posted a statement on Twitter, you know, basically saying that all staff and, and faculty as well as students are expected to receive the COVID vaccination if they want to, you know, have in-person uh, meetings this fall. So there is still a lot to be worked out on that front. Uh, not necessarily the BR hit you want to take here if you're a Coug football fan or if you're just a member of that program. And it also there's also the question of whether or not Rolovich will be allowed on the sidelines this year if he continues to decline the vaccination, which then kind of brings into question whether or not Wazoo will keep him as head football coach. Uh, Taylor, I mean, you're you're a Coug. You love this Coug football program more than just about anybody I know. Uh, just your quick thought on this, because, I mean, it is so multi-layered, multifaceted here. Just there's the football implications of it, and then there's also the societal implications. Just what what have or what do you think is the resolution here, or do you think there's any sort of easy resolution? Look, there's no easy resolution. I mean, uh, he in this country has the right to deny the vaccine and deny taking it, but with that denial, with that freedom, comes the consequences of potentially losing the opportunity to coach this team and how they may have to explore interim options. And it's really unfortunate. This team felt like it was moving in the right direction. It felt like a lot of uh, the press and just the discussions around this football team were moving in a positive direction. It felt like we had moved past sort of some of these off-field things with Leach, who is known for a lot of that. Um yeah, I mean, it's just it's disappointing that this is what we're talking about in regards to Coug football, not the fact that Max Borgie is making all these short lists for these awards. He's one of the most exciting players in college football. You know, he's had a whole a whole year with Rolovich to get comfortable in that system. What could he do? That's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about, you know, Nick Rolovich and his choice to, to not take the vaccine. So, um. I, Look, I'm hoping it comes to some sort of amicable agreement between the two, Um, but it's going to be difficult. It's going to take a lot of work, so I'm keeping my fingers crossed they can figure something out, or else it's going to be time to think about interims and other options, so... Coming up in this hour here on Seattle Sports Saturday, the Mariners a week away from the trade deadline. Do we have any clearer picture on what they're going to do as we near the deadline which is set for july 31st but up next is it too soon to write the book on the kraken's upcoming season after their expansion draft we'll get into that here on seattle sports saturday seattle sports saturdays with curtis rogers and taylor jacobs on 710 espn seattle Coming up in about a half hour from now, college football entering into a phase of some serious unknowns as Texas and Oklahoma look to be on their way out of the Big 12, eyeing the SEC. What does that mean for the Pac-12 as everybody is looking to keep up with the Joneses, the Joneses being the SEC, that conversation comes your way in about 30 minutes from now. But the big story of the week here in Seattle locally was the expansion draft for your Seattle Kraken. And Taylor, just scanning through the NHL world over the course of the last three or four days, looking at all the reactions to the draft, I think there was a common theme of people 
kind of underwhelmed by the haul that the Kraken came away with, especially in comparison to the Vegas Golden Knights and what they had back in 2017, where Vegas took a lot more household names. Uh, They drafted a future Hall of Fame goalie and Marc-Andre Fleury, where Seattle had the opportunity to here with Carey Price. They decided to pass on it, going with a more unproven trio of goalies led by Chris Drieger of the Florida Panthers. When you look, though, at what the Kraken have and what they can continue to do in this offseason, building towards their opening night against the Vegas Golden Knights in October down in Las Vegas, do you think it is fair for some of these conclusions that have been drawn about the roster to be out there, or is there still plenty of work left to do before opening night before we can really come to any sort of conclusion? Oh, there's so much more work to do, especially, look, we've still got rounds of the amateur draft, four, five, six, and seven here for the Kraken to take, you know, four more selections. So there's more players there. We were, we now know that none of those deals did take place on the draft day, like we had seen with um, the Vegas Golden Knights in years or in the, the previous expansion draft. Um, but I, I think pump the brakes a bit okay this roster could still turn over quite a bit before they even hit the ice and some of the players that were taken in the expansion draft heck some of the players taken today in the amateur draft at some point could be on the move could be future considerations some of these picks might move for players things like that so there's still a lot to be um moved around there and on top of that curtis you're talking about all the salary implications from the expansion draft the one thing the kraken did exceedingly well is put themselves in a great position to go out in free agency and still be competitive with some of these signings in this offseason heading into the next regular season so to me and I'll, i'll throw it back to you curtis i would say pump the brakes a little bit on freaking out about this team not looking like the golden knights because hey look the golden knights when they took all those players the last time their odds were still astronomically bad and no one thought this team would be successful even with all those players and they still were so still a lot to be written with this uh kraken team very true and you bring up the cap space that they have which is nearly 30 million dollars and i believe it increased by about a million or so with their trade of Tyler Pitlick to the Calgary Flames immediately following the expansion draft. And let's remember this about the NHL. The salary cap will not increase this year because of the lost revenue due to COVID. The salary cap will be a flat cap from where it was the year prior at about $81.5 million. The Kraken have $30 million to work with here. They barely got past the salary floor that they needed to do in order to meet NHL requirements with their expansion draft. $30 million, I mean, that is a lot of money to be working with here in a free agency class that you know has some good names. I think Gabriel Landeskog seems to be the biggest name available uh, where – you know, there's a potential to sign him. He kind of fits in on your first line. Uh, I know Alexander Ovechkin's a free agent, but there's just no way he's going to leave Washington is from what we have heard across the NHL. <laughs> like, there's no way Seattle will be able to pull him from Washington. That just seems like a, a foregone conclusion he's going to be with the Capitals for the remainder of his career. But there are still some good names out there for this Kraken team to uh, 
add to what they've got. And I think the consensus amongst NHL insiders and NHL experts is that they did really good in building up their defensemen, uh, their defensemen pairings. They've got a really good group there. And when you're an expansion team, why not build up your defensemen and, and keep games low scoring so that you have a much better shot at, at, at sneaking out some victories and also the Pacific Division this year is not going to be a strong division. It's uh, From a lot of people, it, it might be the weakest division in the NHL this season, which puts the Kraken in a position to where they can take advantage of that because that's where the majority of your opponents are going to be within your division. So you've got a ton of cap space. You've got a draft class coming in here. You, you just had the number two overall pick, Matthew Beneers, who probably won't have a huge impact in 2021, but definitely in 2022 there's the possibility of that happening i really like the spot that the kraken put themselves in because look they have tons of flexibility and they can also take on some bad contracts too if if teams want to deal guys that have bad contracts you can say yeah we'll take this guy on but also give us a first round pick or a second round pick whatever it is a great spot to be in if you're the brand new team on the block yeah it just feels like this is a marathon, not a sprint, okay? And I understand people want to sprint to that start of the season, hit the ground running. Look, we uh, unfortunately, the Sounders have also impacted our expectations for expansion teams, seeing as they just make the playoffs every year now, and it just is an expectation that they win no matter what. And I, I love what the Kraken are doing from the, the, that perspective Curtis of not running a sprint running a marathon pacing themselves here hit that minimum in the expansion leave yourself that money to maybe go out and sign some players you know get a guy like Taylor Hall out on the left side to maybe be a little bit more of an attacking threat to help some of those young defenders that you've got like you have some other options of players and and names that are recognizable to even a casual hockey fan like me I'm not going to sit here and tell you I know more than Curtis or some of the other people here but I I love the game and I and I love just team building I love all that aspect of it so to me I love what they're doing from, again, from a casual fan perspective. I think this is exactly what I would want to see my new team doing and setting themselves up to succeed in the long term by not selling the the, the farm day one. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And there is going to be a ton of pressure on them based off of the immediate results Vegas has had, you know, going to three conference finals in their first four seasons, making the Stanley Cup finals in their inaugural season. I think there is added pressure on the Kraken to be competitive right out of the gate, but also Vegas had much different parameters to work with than Seattle has had. It had been 17 years since there had been an expansion draft when Vegas came into existence. There was not a whole lot of, you know, at-hand knowledge amongst NHL front offices on how to handle an expansion draft. And Vegas took full advantage of that, you know, acquiring just a bevy of draft picks and going out and getting these star-level players and getting players that other teams hadn't recognized as stars, and they developed into ones with Vegas, William Carlson being one of those guys, Jonathan Marchessault, another guy uh, on Vegas's roster. So Vegas had such an easier time building their team in the three years since then. Obviously, NHL teams are going to realize, like, oh, we're not going to help this team out 
in any way, shape, or form like we did with Vegas. We have learned from this. And look, Seattle unfortunately became the you know the the example of this. But you know what? They're still in a good spot regardless of how difficult other teams made it on them. Uh, you know, this week during the expansion draft. Yeah, and like you said earlier, the division is wide open. You start with that good core young defense you can build around, especially in this city. We love great defense. The Cam Chancellors, the Gary Paytons, you know, they they, they stand out in the history of this city because of how much we just love those sort of hardworking, harder-hitting defenders in in any type of sport so to me this team is starting to even reflect the city of seattle and what we love as fans and what we've grown to love over generations and generations i mean look it goes back to there's the the big you know death row dogs there's all those don james uw defenses you can go back in the history of seattle and look at defense and 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 say it's one of the big things we are passionate about in the city so to me Knowing that the division, again, is wide open, knowing that defense can really help you win and not allowing goals and protecting your goalie and and keeping that goal rate down is so important in today's NHL that, again, it's just they are where they need to be in this moment. And we'll keep uh, we'll keep you updated on the rest of the draft picks today. But it just feels like with each move, they're doing it right to me. Absolutely. Uh, coming up in this hour, College Football Realignment is fresh on the docket. We'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes. But up next, the Mariners, we're a week away from the trade deadline, and we still have no idea what they're going to be at the deadline. Buyers or sellers, text into the Mac and Jacks text line what you want the Mariners to be at the deadline. We talk that next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Make the case. Make the case for the Mariners to be buyers or make the case for the Mariners to be sellers at the deadline. Look, we know that they are in the midst of a rebuild. That has been made explicitly clear by the Mariners front office and by Jerry Depoto over the last couple of years. But look, you are within striking distance of a wild card spot. And I get that the wild card, there is a lot more randomness involved in that than there is in winning your division. But we are 20 years removed from the last time playoff baseball was seen in this town. So should the Mariners be buyers or should they continue to ride out this rebuild, let the chips fall where they may, and maybe hit that sell button. Taylor, when you look at this Mariners team right now, there are some glaring holes on this roster, notably second base, notably the back end of the rotation, outside of Kikuchi, Gilbert, and Chris Flexen right now, which, by the way, if you had told me at the start of the season Chris Flexen and Logan Gilbert would be the anchors of this staff heading into the trade deadline, I would have thought something drastically wrong would have happened. But... They've been very pleasant surprises. Yeah, Curtis, I on this show said I don't think Yusei Kikuchi can be the ace of the staff. Oh, boy, was I wrong about that. He is the <laughs> ace on the staff right now, and he's been great. Minus the, he had a few little hiccups there, but uh, look, I think um, he's had a fantastic season, and I, I expect him to be around where he's been pitching all year long. Maybe not the Houston series, uh 
I guess a couple of weeks ago now, but uh, yeah, it, uh, it it feels like you say has really taken that next step forward, and uh, and Flexen and Gilbert just right there behind him, keeping it solid. Yeah. So you look at this team now, we're a week away from the trade deadline. There have been just a couple of names that the Mariners may have been in on. Ken Rosenthal of Fox Sports yesterday reporting that Adam Frazier, second baseman for the Pittsburgh Pirates, was somebody that the Mariners may be looking at. He's having a career season this year. Uh, beat, was an NL All-Star, and the Pirates obviously in a position to sell. They are nowhere near contention. They had the number one pick in the draft just a couple weeks ago. But I look at this team right now, I don't necessarily think Adam Frazier would be the end-all, be-all to put this team over the top. I think there's still much more that they need to do. And then you run the risk of having to deal with these prospects that the Mariners are trying so hard to cultivate and, and have them become major league contributors. Because, look, if you can get one of these or two of these or three of these top prospects to hit at the big league level, that's going to set you up so nicely in order to spend over the next couple of years. Taylor, when you look at just the names that are available on the trade market, do any of them bring back the return you would expect if you dealt one of the Mariners' top prospects? Now, I'm not talking Julio or Jared Kelnick or even Noel V. Marte, but I'm talking sort of the, the next tier, guys like George Kirby and Emerson Hancock. Uh, do, do you think anybody out there on the trade market would would be able to sort of make a deal like that palatable? No, honestly, no, not this season. And and to me, I'm, I know there's probably a lot of Mariners fans who are upset to hear that and that are saying, look, we're this close, we're six games out, why wouldn't we buy? Why wouldn't we be buyers? And to me, again, they've been doing it the right way. I think it's the theme of the show today. It's just building the team the right way, and they've been doing it. The The only thing that makes me want to go out and be a buyer and, and be someone who makes some moves is the message it sends the team. And I, and I do agree that a, a message being sent about this team, we want you guys to be competing, we want you to be playing hard. I love that motivation. I wish there was a way to, to get both, to have our cake and eat it too in this situation, but it just feels like they got a hold. They got a hold. I know we see these thousands of horses with, with uh, swords barreling towards us, Curtis, but we have to hold the line. You have to be strong because in the long run, when you have those pieces next season, you know, the George Kirby's like you were mentioning, and you are just one piece away, that's when it truly is so valuable to have that deep farm system, to have those guys coming up on top of them potentially reaching the major league roster. The fact that they could be assets dealt when you are even closer and with the offseason, with the money that they might be able to spend in this offseason, it just feels like get to the end of the season, do what you can with this roster, and know that next year is the season. Your buyers, your buyers before the season, your buyers in the season, and you're pushing for the playoffs and, and more. Yeah, and I think that would be a great spot to be in, but there's still a lot of uncertainty as to what this team is going to look like after the end of the season. And that boils down to the contract statuses of Jerry DePoto and Scott service. And 
we're a week away from the trade deadline. Neither one of them are guaranteed employment beyond the end of the season, whenever that may be. Whenever, If it's the regular season, it's the end of September. If it's the playoffs, it's whenever the Mariners get eliminated. I don't think the Mariners are doing themselves any favors right now by sort of leaving those guys out to dry and not giving them any assurances beyond this season. If you're a GM and you're making moves for this team at a trade deadline where you don't have a contract status guaranteed to yourself, like what is there to like, what do you have to do? Like Jerry DePoto is in this weird spot of making moves for teams and, and trying to build an organization to his vision, but he can't even see in that vision a future for himself right now because I mean maybe there's a contract offer on the table I don't know I haven't been told anything you haven't been told anything if if we were told something we would have told you like that's that's what we do here in this business I'm leaking that secret for sure yeah (laughs) but there's just nothing right now that speaks to Jerry DePoto and Scott Service being here beyond this season other than they are winning right now and they are in the midst of a rebuild. You'd think that would at least buy yourself a couple more years just to see it through, but for whatever reason, there just hasn't been anything done on that front. No, yeah, and it, again, it's just such a it's such a tough situation because you can look at both sides of these. Any Mariner fan, I don't care if you're a Mariner fan uh, of a couple of years, Mariner fan your whole life since the, the pilots, you can look at this and, and see both sides of the case and understand the case for buying and for selling, right, Curtis? That some of these pieces you might be able to sell now, and yes, you wouldn't make the playoffs this season, but imagine having even more of those controllable assets, even more of these people in the farm system, even more of this future, I guess, allure, right? But then you go to the 20 years, you go to all the, the, the past, the past that you've had to go through. And, and yes, this season is not connected to any of those previous seasons, right? And each year, it's a new team. It's a new start. Yes, it's been that streak of years, but you just want to move away from that. And by not signing Jerry DePoto and not signing, I I can't see a case for the not signing. You know what I mean? Like You can see the case for uh, the buying and selling. I just can't see the case for not re-signing both of these guys right now. And it's a little bit frustrating, again, as we sit here having this discussion about buying and selling, that the two guys that are at the head of it are not guaranteed to be here next year. So they got to figure that out. They got to get that done as well as trying to figure out what they're going to do at this deadline. By the this time next week, we'll have already passed it. So... There's a lot of things that need to take place with this Mariners organization in the next couple of weeks for them to continue building for success. Absolutely. Uh, text in to the Mac and Jack's text line, 710-710, what you want to see the Mariners do. Getting a good uh, response on the text line. 360 says, love Mitch Haniger, but sell him. Uh, there's some other ones that say, just hold tight. Maybe this is the roster that makes the playoffs potentially, but look, if they get to the playoffs with this roster, I worry that they might be a one-and-done type scenario uh, just because there's not a lot there that gives me confidence that the they can advance if they were to reach the playoffs. But look, 
Uh, we've talked about this, and I wonder, like, what's more important right now to the fan base? Is it building a consistent winner or just breaking this 20-year streak? Because you can do both with one, and that's building a consistent winner, but it might take a little bit longer than just going for it in one year and breaking the streak. I want to know, breaking the 20-year streak or building a consistent winner, what is more important to the Mariners fan base right now? Text that in to the Mac and Jacks text line. Coming up next, though, college football realignment back on the front burner. How should the Pac-12 respond to the rumors of Texas and Oklahoma wanting to join the SEC? That's next on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. College realignment, it always rears its ugly head every few years or so. But within the last week, it came out of nowhere as rumors were flying all across the college football and college basketball landscape about Texas and Oklahoma openly flirting with the SEC, wanting to basically break all ties with the Big 12 once their media deal runs out after the 2023 season. And look, Texas and Oklahoma, say what you will about the postseason success those teams have had over the last decade or so, which isn't much, but those are brand-name schools in the world of college football. Those are brand-name schools in the world of college athletics. And when schools like that make decisions to switch conferences, there is going to be a ripple effect felt throughout college athletics at the very top and also at the very bottom. And right now, it looks as though the Big 12 is on life support if they do lose those two schools. Now, what does that mean for the Pac-12? Maybe that means that the Big 12 is ripe for the picking if the Pac-12 does want to expand here. And I would hope that they want to expand. And we got a good text coming in to the Mac and Jacks text line from the 206 that says the Pac-12 needs to act fast with schools like TCU, etc. Not forming a, com- a commission that takes two years to decide when to meet and to decide what to do. They are the Titanic and are not nimble. Also, stop holding their nose in the air as a research-slash-academic conference. Very well put, 206. I, I think that kind of takes the words out of a lot of pac 12 fans' mouths because, look, the pac 12 has been very choosy in the past about who to add and when to add, and they chose Utah and Colorado about a decade ago because they were big-time research institutions. Uh, they weren't, you know, the private schools. They weren't the private religious schools like BYU or... Uh, you know, any school like that, they weren't schools that maybe don't have the same sort of academic quality looking at schools like Boise State or San Diego State. But look, the future of the Pac-12 kind of hangs in the balance here. It, you know, you got to be aggressive in how you add. And Taylor, when you look at just the college landscape, I don't think the Pac-12 can survive if they continue to be as picky as they are about schools, about admission into the conference. I agree 100%. And uh, it's unfortunate that this is the state of the NCAA. Uh, If I had a choice, I think I would just love to have the conferences sort of stay where they are and sort of these nice geographical divisions and not a big sort of, cross-country trip you have to take every week for a game but you know unfortunately or fortunately 
the world is getting smaller and everything is a little bit smaller. It's easier to get places. It's easier to talk to people. Look, Curtis and I are FaceTiming right now. We're looking at each other and he's like an hour south from me right now. The world is, you know what I mean, in a theoretical sense, is becoming smaller. So for the Pac-12 to sit on their hands and go completely sit this whole thing out would be extremely detrimental to the future of this conference and I think would actually damage them going forward. This is an opportunity. Unfortunately, they're going to have to go and sort of be a vulture on another conference and pull off some of these teams. But like TCU, like a Kansas, to add a couple programs like that to this conference would be, could be, life-changing and, and could inject new life into this conference. You know, you add a, another potential football school, you add a basketball powerhouse, a true blue blood to, to match with UCLA as well. And you have these two sort of basketball anchors. You look at the football side of things in Oregon and USC, assuming again, they stay and, and they don't want to leave and go elsewhere. Uh, then you add another Texas school into the mix and you have California and Texas in your conference as well. Uh, it just feels like such an opportunity that they can't pass it up. But on the flip side, Curtis, some small schools like the Wazoos and the Oregon States, they're going to suffer and they're going to be going to have to play some of those tougher teams. And those are going to be a couple more L's on the schedule. And, Maybe a harder path for them to make a run and surprise teams and make it to a, a big bowl. So we'll see what this uh, realignment, reshaping of the NCAA will look like and how long the NCAA can hold on to these teams before they decide, you know what, we'll just do it ourselves. Yeah, I think that's the I think that's the end game for all of this is all these schools saying, you know what, we're going to take our ball and go elsewhere. We don't need the help of the NCAA in order to get what we want out of these sports and get what we want out of uh, all of these athletic departments. I I look at the Pac-12, though, and you bring up Oregon and USC. I think USC is the school that I I would be most concerned about their sort of feelings on the current state of the Pac-12 because that is the flagship football program in this conference. And I know we all hate USC because of how much they have won over the course of their school's history. Uh, you know, had one of the best dynasties in college football history about you know 15, 16 years ago, whatever. But if they decide, look, independence is our best route. We don't need the Pac-12. Then there is going to be some serious concern over the future. The Pac-12 cannot afford to stand pat. They cannot afford to let the game come to them because if that happens you we've seen it with conferences like the big east in the past they're no longer a football conference we're seeing it right now with the big 12 they're on life support if texas and oklahoma do in fact leave do you want to follow those conferences leads and and just be left in the wake of of the big 10 and the acc and the sec because that's the possibility of what could happen here and I don't want the Pac-12 to be okay with just the 12 schools that they have. And look, we've talked about you know BYU being a potential addition to the conference. Yeah, they're not a research institution, but they are a national brand. They are a school that is known throughout the country. That logo is instantly recognizable. Uh, and wherever it is you go, there's going to be fans there because of their, you know, because of their t- close ties to the Mormon Church. 
You've got schools like Baylor, who, yeah, they've had plenty of controversy there over the last, you know, 15, 20 years. But they just won a national championship in basketball. Uh, and they've also got a pretty good football program right now. Maybe you add a couple of those schools. Maybe you start adding basketball-only members. Look at Gonzaga. Like, they're the best West Coast basketball team, and they're playing in the West Coast Conference. Your conference of 12 schools and has two schools in it that people would say are among the Blue Bloods or on the verge of Blue Bloods in UCLA and Arizona, they're not necessarily back to that level right now. I know UCLA just won or just went to the Final Four, but that was as an 11 seed. That was a Cinderella run. They were not expected to do that. So you've got opportunities to add not just in football but also in basketball. And, I mean, if the Pac-12 doesn't take advantage of this opportunity, I fear for the future of it. But I also... I, I'm not as fearful right now because Larry Scott's not in charge. And that's the beauty oh, of yeah. this situation is that George Klyovkov can get off to an incredible start here by adding uh, over the next couple of years. I mean, that would be a very nice way to endear yourself to the current 12 fan bases you've got in your conference. Yeah. And now is going to be the time to, to show up and to be the new commissioner uh, great text from the 360. This whole conversation is predicated that the Pac-12 will add schools, not lose them. 100% agree. If True. they lose USC, it, it the domino effect will start in the Pac-12 too. And that some of those schools, like in Oregon, I know dog fans don't want to hear it, but Oregon is the brand right now of this conference. And they are... You know, they make news nationally in every, in mostly every sport. So to to lose a USC, to lose an Oregon would be utterly damaging to this conference, and the conversation would drastically shift, and we would be having similar commissioner-like conversations if that were to happen. Um, so this is look, the the ball is in their court. You want the ball in your hands to sh- to at the end of the game to take the last shot, then this is it. This is what you want because you got to take the shot on some of these guys. And by guys, I mean some of the schools that are going to be available potentially to add to your conference and not let this opportunity pass you by because who knows if you'll ever have an opportunity like this for years to come. If you missed any of the first hour, make sure you're downloading the podcast, 710sports.com. Click on podcast. Every hour of every show is there for you. But up next, We'll get you a big three to start off the second hour from a national perspective. We're taking a look at the NBA Finals. Shout out to the Milwaukee Bucks. Major League Baseball getting closer and closer to the trade deadline. And a brand new team, or at least a brand new team name in Major League Baseball coming up in 2022. We all we get into all of that coming up here on Seattle Sports Saturday.